electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Kim Seymour, Brian Kelly, David Seberg, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, it was a crazy week for crypto from a big hack to a major decision from the SEC. And our crypto baller BK says something just happened that could send one coin to the moon. Plus, don't look now, but shares of Snap are soaring, and one trader thinks the run isn't over mm. yet. We'll tell you how to cash in. But first, we start off with the trade war turmoil. Stocks sinking more than 250 points at the lows as the White House officially slaps tariffs on China, and the country retaliates. But by the end of the session, stocks had erased most of those losses. We should note we have seen this movie before. Although we've never seen it with the Culture Club. Culture but these Club. Paid wow. more sell-offs it's have become laugh. pretty commonplace this year. Check out those red dots on your screen where each time we sold off, it was really a buying opportunity. Most importantly, the sell-offs have become less severe each time. So if we keep seeing these trade war dips, do you buy them? Could a real trade war escalation finally hit the markets? Tim, you you do definitely think? don't go out and buy Culture Club CDs. Uh, just to be clear, Brian. Brian. Oh, okay. Uh, I already have them. They come in my CD of the month club. Okay, so, so look, um, the headlines are, are ugly. The reality of what's going to happen here is I still believe that there's a negotiation phase, and I still believe if you look at the VIX, if you look at the dollar, and if you look at the S&P and where we ultimately close the day, um, I don't think that this trade war is a run for the hills. I think we had a week, much more important events, and I don't mean North Korea. I mean the Fed. I mean the BOJ. And I heard the Fed governor, uh, the Fed chair, basically tell us that he thinks the economy is in great, in, in great stakes. I, I, that would be very much at risk with people that are running for the hills. So it's been an opportunity to buy every time we've had a trade war segment. Uh, I do think you have an opportunity, though, to be trading a range here, and we're near the top of a range. So um, I'm not freaking out, but I tell you, the S&P doesn't need to go a lot higher in the next week or two. Well, we've also seen after each of these that they step, they walk it back a bit, right? There's this big escalation, these big announcements, and then Sunday morning at 7.03 a.m., Donald Trump tweets something that says, oh, maybe we're you know back in negotiations with them. So I think the market's becoming conditioned to that. That does not remove the fact that we could have some kind of escalation by miscalculation. We go too far on the, on the negotiating table. Uh, but for now, until proven otherwise, you have to assume that the initial foray, the initial uh, shot here is always walked back. It's going to get a little bit real, though. I mean, July 6th is the right. actual date which the tariffs will be imposed on the Chinese goods. So all of a sudden, we, actually, we do have a firm date when they will go into effect. And so maybe, can we get something done in two weeks? I have no idea. You've seen him do these things repeatedly, whereas in the 11th hour, he does kind of switch gears and change direction. But I think this one is sort of similar to what the guys were saying. I think this is a negotiation to help his North Korea negotiations. I think he's leaning on China yet again. He got them to the table. He leaned on China to get North Korea to the table. And now I think he's doing it so that they abide by whatever the quote-unquote agreement will be or prospective agreement could be. So I think this is all art of the deal stuff. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, the fact that we are at the top of the range, if you will, and the market is holding in the way it's holding in with all this headline risk, I think it's a very positive sign, a positive sign from the standpoint that I believe when we do get more resolve and we'll get it over the next you know, week or so or a couple weeks, 
I think the market is going to go and create new highs. I think we do ramp up. So I do think it's a buying opportunity on any kind of weakness. I'll say something to, to moderate, though, all this bullish tone. I mean, you know, it seems to me like the nationalists within the Trump administration now, you know, whether it's Peter Navarro, you name it, the guys that really believe that we should be on an, an equal manufacturing kind of employment front or we should have equal manufacturing jobs in this country, which I think is preposterous, by the way. Um, I think those guys feel with the North Korea trip, there's a lot of chest thumping. We did our stuff. We went into China's backyard. We actually cut a deal with North Korea or, or we at least created headlines with North Korea. That's not going to make China feel great. Uh, and I think the reality is that I think you know, the, the, the tone isn't going to get a whole lot better in the short term. But, but again, I think back the tone to is the only thing that helps, though. I think that he ratchets it up to such a degree that it gets them to come to the table. We saw China come to the table with $70 billion worth of ag, of energy. So the problem is they reward the rhetoric. So he's they, they came with to the, the table today by by throwing you know extreme tariffs across. You know, they set up from matter. the start though and right? pulled back the seventy five billion additional goods yeah, that they're right, going to buy. They right, they, they took that back. Start, so then we'll pull back ZTE. So that goes it goes back back and forth. You could say you know that they're they're both in negotiations. This has been going on since March. Everything that has ever sold off has been a buying opportunity. So you sound bullish, bullish. I am bullish, You're and Powell is bullish, and I think that's the that's what, what you, the market's going to take. Us. So I, I stayed long. Everything was already long. Tech, home builders now, which I just got long, but stay long, Russell. Well, I, look, I, I think in general, you stick with the momentum stories. You stick with the earnings stories, the stories where you've seen consistent earnings boost or earnings growth. And you look at the, the, the stories that basically give you some opportunity for earnings growth. Like uh, Netflix, I stick with the Netflix trade. Facebook, you're going to see numbers continue to ratchet up in a name like Facebook. And I think Boeing is a buy in weakness every single time that stock dips on any sort of news like this. To that point, Boeing had been down by 2% at the lows of the session and then managed to um, pair those losses tremendously by, by a point and a half on percentage. Right. Basis. Right, so, which which we saw the whole market turn too on that. So right. you know, I mean, Boeing could be the the the, the leading edge here and the place what's going to be most sensitive to this. Now, remember, Boeing also has operations in the Middle East that we have to worry about. So that this probably is the ground zero stock and something to watch. But again, I, I, I guess I agree with the guys. Like, if you want to say, all right, I'm concerned about this trade war, then stick with small and mid cap. Stick with well, the Russell, I, I, that say, type of thing. The, the stuff that I think actually should be doing very well here, and I've been a reflationist over the last. 18 months, you know, commodities got destroyed today. And, and China is obviously the biggest net importer, uh, whether it's copper, whether it's uh, a number of, of the industrial metals. And certainly look what happened to steel companies. Steel companies around the world today got taken out. And again, steel companies don't really like trade wars, despite the fact that it should be supporting steel prices, which are at record highs. Right. So I don't think that necessarily, you know, I've watched this all happen many times before. I, I don't know that I want to go in and buy this weakness in some of these resource plays. I actually think you need to see some of this play out. It doesn't mean it changes my fundamental view. doesn't mean I'm selling stuff today, but it's not a dip that I think it's ready to go in there and buy it. And, and again, I look at what we, what we digested this week. Um, I don't see why markets need to take the next level higher. I think, you know, 2790 S&P, top. All right. Well, as trade war fears resurface, there's one group of stocks being battered. Chartmaster Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macros over at the Plaza to break it all down. Hi, Carter. Hi there. Right. So industrials, obviously, as a group, have been a very poor performer for the past 18 months. There was a lot of excitement associated with the election. And ever since then, it's really been kind of downhill. What I've got here, of course, is the obviously well-known XLI, the ETF that covers all S&P 500 industrials. So you've got your GE, your Caterpillar, Boeing. You've got truckers and rails and so forth. And what we know is, of course, in this five-year chart is that this has been a very steady uptrend. But here's the thing that I would point out that if I were to draw a line essentially right there from Election Day, right, what we've had is after that initial spurt, 
as the sector has gone up, again, relative performance is really what it's all about, opportunity cost. You are underperforming the market, and not only in absolute terms, but adjusted for beta risk, high risk area of the market, really quite, uh, quite troublesome. Um, here we go. Let me put it in this context. There is the actual day. We have now, as of this week, retraced all of the gains. Look at the date. That's election day 16. All of the gains since then have been given back, relative gains to the market. And so that the storyline of tax cuts and synchronized global growth, what a melodious phrase that is, uh, none of it's coming to pass, uh, at least as it relates to industrials as an investment. Now the high flyers, Boeing, it's, it's, it's been killing the industrials, which have dried. And all I think one can assume is that since trend work is an important process of all things, are we ultimately going to get back to trend? I would say so, Boeing. And how about CAT? Again, I'm not manipulating these lines. The lines are what they are. To the penny, to the penny, to the penny, and we're just never going to revisit again. It has all the look and feel of a down formation. I think both of these high flyers are headed lower. They didn't act well today. And the space itself is not the dream that it is purported to be. Come on over, Carter. Not even going to ask the desk. There you go. I mean, you never do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you even care about this well, anymore. I mean, yeah, not really. It would only be clever if you said, we're all voting no. <laughs> I have a question, though, on, on that last chart that you had for Caterpillar. Oftentimes you'd get up there and you, could, you would draw a wedge and you'd say, that's a time when there has to be a decision made and it could go up or it could go down. That's right. And, and I could have done that. I mean, uh -huh. an annotation, is that's, that's the interpretation part. It, it is a wedge. And just as you've implied, the, the recent action, very bad action today, the implications are you're going to break down through the bottom of the wedge. And remember, this is one of the most loved stocks hard stop in the market. It drew in a lot of capital, both industri uh, in institutional money and retail money. And now the question is, who is the incremental buyer? So, Carter, I know you like to make bold calls, and more often than not, you're right. So the S&P, we're talking about range that's been range-bound for quite some time. I had thought that we were going to go back and test that 200-day moving average one last time just to give the bulls some conviction. Now I'm looking at it. Every time we try to break down 2740 in the cash, seems like real support to me. Do we trade to 2,900 and take out old highs? That's the question. Yeah. I think the, the highs and the lows were set, right? So you have a two-week plunge, 12%. That Friday, the 26th of January, that plunge, uh, February 9th, also a Friday. And that we've been stuck in there ever since. New York Stock Exchange, for instance, index and old composite is in the dead middle uh, of those goalposts. Uh, there are a lot of parts of the market, industrial and financials, that are just not working. So we're getting uh, a lot of speculative action at the weekend of the market, retailers coming off the lows, and then crowding, more and more crowding into popular names. But what does that divergence mean for, for the market? Let's say like next three, three, six, nine months or something like that. You're seeing some of these things lag, but then QQQ is at new high. Sure. So you, I would just say this, that in order for the market to really make substantial new highs, you have to have key areas of the market that are 10% plus of the market. That would be industrials, healthcare, care, uh, financials, really those three, come to life in a big way. And as of now... They're all laggards. We're not going to count on utilities 3%, materials 3%, REITs 3%. Uh, it, and, and tech can't do it forever. Um, at some point, it, it's just too crowded. All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton worth a cornerstone. The chart master, by the way, will be back in a bit on options action to break down a group of stocks mm. that could be headed to oh, hey. trouble. Mm. In there. Stay tuned for it's that. It's going to be coming. Coming up, a crazy week for the two major cryptocurrencies, both down double digits. But our crypto baller says the nightmare is over for one coin. 
Plus, he's taking your burning Bitcoin questions on Twitter. So go ahead and tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. Try to keep it clean, by the way. Hate huh. tweets will not be read. Plus, social anxiety, no more. Snap soaring this week, and one trader thinks there's more room to run for the social mover. He'll tell you how to cash in. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto has been going off the rails on the crazy train this week. A little shout out nice. to you, Ozzy Osbourne fans. Yeah, nice Check smell. out the wild swings we've seen in Bitcoin. The cur- cryptocurrency plummeting about 15% this week, losing more than $1,000. Our Bob Passan is at the New York Stock Exchange with a look at the week that was. Hey, Bob. Hey, Melissa. Big week of news. Three main stories, two of them negative for cryptos. One of them positive. Now, on the negative side, Sunday we got news that CoinRail, a major South Korean crypto exchange, had been hacked, losing over $40 million in altcoins. Bad for confidence. Bitcoin down almost 10% on Monday compared to Friday. Another negative came on Wednesday when a paper from the University of Texas claimed that manipulation may have accounted for at least half of Bitcoin's price rise in other cryptos in the last year. Professor John Griffin and Amin Shams noted that the flow in and out of Bitfinex one of the largest exchanges showed suspicious patterns and concluded that there was substantial reason to believe that price manipulation may be behind some of the distortive effects in cryptocurrencies. Now, the sole positive news came yesterday as the SEC's top official on crypto policy said Bitcoin and Ether were not securities and thus would not come under the regulatory control of the SEC. Good news in that most ICOs or initial coin offerings would likely be classified as securities, though there would be some exceptions. There were important clarifications here. Bitcoin rose 5% on that news. But the bad far outweighed the good overall. Another 13% decline for Bitcoin on the week, which is now approaching the lows for the year when it briefly dropped below 6,000 in early February. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. So what are the next catalysts for crypto? Well, our crypto baller, BK, is over at the Plasma to tell us what. BK, take it away. Yeah, sure. So let's talk about Ethereum in particular because that was in the news this week. And so now we have to talk about, okay, how is this going to trade? What are the catalysts over the next couple months that could actually move this? So I identified three. First of all, let's talk about Ethereum futures. Right after the SEC came out and said, Ethereum is not a security. The president of the CBOE came out and said that was a hurdle to us launching Ethereum futures. So one would think that perhaps Ethereum futures are not far off. They already have an index-based Ethereum index, and you would think that futures are next. So that could be a potential catalyst for Ethereum. Number two, the Augur platform. Old school folks will remember that Augur was one of the oldest ICOs. Platform's been in development for about two or three years now. And what it is is it's a decentralized prediction market. Now, what's interesting about this, this will probably be one of the biggest decentralized apps launched on top of Ethereum. Remember, you probably, Tim probably remembers CryptoKitties, how it slowed the system down. We'll see with Augur. If it doesn't slow the system down, that could generally be a positive for Ethereum. And then finally, the third thing, what I'm calling software mining. Ethereum is going through somewhat of an upgrade where they go from hardware mining, proof of work, to something called proof of stake, which is similar to a software mining. That's going to come over the next couple months. Vitalik Buterin mentioned something today about combining a couple of the upgrades in one. That, again, could be a catalyst for Ethereum. So now let's just take a look and see how Ethereum is trading here. Here's what I find interesting about Ethereum versus Bitcoin. Bitcoin in orange, Ethereum in the blue. Here's your lows that you've had before. Now, what's interesting is 
Bitcoin is right on the lows, in fact, breached it a bit, but Ethereum did not. So relative value-wise, Ethereum has been trading a little bit better than Bitcoin. So if I were going to be long this market, as I am, I would overweight Ethereum at this point in time. We're going to get to a tweet, but I have a question for you, BK, first, and that is um, the high in Bitcoin coincided with the launch of futures for Bitcoin. Is there concern that the launch of Ethereum futures won't be a catalyst? Uh, I, I, certainly, it's always a concern. It's unclear to me. I think it might have just been coincidence that we had futures, and then all of a sudden we had a sell-off from perhaps tax selling uh, for perhaps a lot of different things. That sell-off could have occurred because of different reasons than necessarily futures. All right, let's get to some que- tweets for you. Uh, Crypto Adam asks, as a hodler, how concerned should we be that we're getting close to the price of production of one Bitcoin around 6000 in the U.S.? That's a good question. That's a great question. In crypto atoms. So yeah, roughly around <laughs> 5820 or so, I think is the highest estimate I've seen on what it costs to mine. And so here's what's interesting about it. As if we get below that level, miners will start to turn off their rigs. But that doesn't mean that supply decreases. Bitcoin supply every 10 minutes right now, you get 12 and a half Bitcoin. So we'll see what happens. There could be an incentive for some of the bigger miners to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to sell every 10 minutes 12 and a half Bitcoin. I'm going to hold on to it. So it's something that I'm watching very, very closely because we really haven't seen it in this market, at least to this magnitude. All right. Next tweet comes from Oak Lawn Lover. Um, This person tweets, is there a realistic chance Bitcoin can fail and go (laughs) broke? Uh, nice, Oakland, uh, Locon lover. All right. So uh, go broke. I mean, it's a decentralized system. There's nothing to necessarily go broke. Uh, but I would say we are still early stages. This you got to think of this as a venture capital type investment. This is still kind of proof of concept. A lot of these things haven't been shown yet. They have to scale. There's a lot going on here. You're very, very early days. And just remember, MySpace existed well before Facebook. Tech disrupts itself. So just because you have Bitcoin today doesn't mean in 10 or 15 years Bitcoin is going to be the leader. And BK, we do want to congratulate you and our very own chairwoman because both of them today took the stage at Wharton's Global Forum in New York City to discuss the future of money in front of some of the brightest minds of the country. So very cool stuff and it's great to get some fast representation over there. Very Very nice. Coming up, a number of big names making huge moves this week from Twitter to Campbell's Soup. The traders tell you if they're fading or trading the moves right after this. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yeah, that's what emerging markets did this week. And the charts are pointing to more pain for one market in particular. We'll tell you how to cash in. Plus, one social media stock is suddenly on fire. And here's a hint. And if you missed the move in Snap, we'll tell you how you can still cash in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out some of the big winners this week with huge moves. Dropbox up a whopping 32% this week. Etsy up 28%. Twitter up 11%. And Campbell's Soup, a bit of a stealth rally here, up 9%. So let's play a game. Time for, yeah, let's, let's play, play a game. game. It's yeah, Friday. Yeah. All right, we're, we're going to we? play Trade It or Fade It. Okay, love that we're game. Gonna stick yep. it, it's a weird game, though. So, Why? Well, because Trade It means you also would sell it, and Fade right. It means you would sell anyway. it. But anyway, okay. yeah, Dropbox, right. trade, trade It or trade Fade It. Trade It. Look, it's a stock I'm actually long. There's a handful of things 
things going on here. I'm not sure if this is a rumor about Salesforce stepping in there. I'm not sure if it's these guys actually executing on higher ASP prices. But a lot of these software names, especially recently IPO'd ones, were on a tear this week. I stay in the name. The next one is Twitter. BK, Trader or Fade It? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, I'm in Tim's camp where it's a little confusing, but what I would say is fade this. Not because I don't like Twitter anymore. Sell it. it. Right. It's not because I don't like the fundamental story, but it's had a tremendous ramp up. So the trader in me wants to fade. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what the reason for the ramp up. I get, you know, a lot of times stocks can become overbought and Twitter has become overbought. What was the reason for the ramp up in Twitter? Well, you had it was replacing Monsanto. The numbers got better. Okay. Numbers got so better. for me, it doesn't matter. It and then went you, up, had, you had a bunch I, I of price target upgrades where they were looking for another 10 to 15 percent on the way up in a stock that's already been overbought. But I think clearer skies ahead. I've been long the name. Tim's been long the name. I don't plan Which on means that you're trading. You're trading it. I'm trading it. I'm totally trading, trading it. it. I'm right. trading it hard. Yeah. Next one, Etsy, Seberg. <laughs> Etsy, I'm trading it. I mean, look, they had some great wow. news this week. They raised they raised guidance. And this is a very niche play. I mean, this is more artists and sort of, more you know, artists. smaller I mean, businesses what, what, what that are saying. Do you remember Product, that? I mean, the guy, Donnie Sato. They are. I need Etsy in my life, Anti-Amazon. Well, listen, if you want a guy, Donnie Sock Puppet, you do. Guy has a sock puppet. Good for him. By the way, this is from the guy makes ties Twitter and buying Etsy. Right? Absolutely. Well, that's because he sells his Because you have to realize there. There, is a, there is a very large population in this country that is anti-Amazon. They don't want to shop on right. Amazon. And they Plus, wanna, you can get they some shop on a platform like that. That's, that's correct. You probably could get some white jeans, too, Off in case fair. you needed them. Custom white uh, Last but not least, he does, apparently, on a Friday <laughs> on the show. Campbell Soup, Grasso, what do you say? Campbell Soup is down 23% year-to-date. It's already bounced 14% from its recent low. I think that Campbell Soup has bigger fish to fry. You, I, the, the whole millennial stage has gotten away from it. Steve, they make soup. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. That, that's the problem. That's the problem. Soul, right? That's they the should problem. be frying right, soup, uh, frying soup with fish. Let's get to another Fade big it. winner this week and every week, and yes. that winner is Dad. As yes. you all know, this Sunday is Father's Day, so in honor of all the fathers out there, the traders picked four stocks they would say would be a great gift for all of those dads out there. So, Tim, what's yours? Well, why not hand Dad, assuming he's of age, a nice bottle of Johnny Black, Diageo. Look, the spirit space <laughs> growing, growing globally. These guys are in the driver's seat. I like Diageo on any day. BK. Uh, well, for dad, you want to make sure you get the gift that keeps on giving, which would be a dividend or a bond. So TLT. Look what the world's doing now. TLT, the place to be. 32. Uh, I'm buying my father a house. Liz- Lenar. Wow. I'd be a buyer of Lenar. I know the home builders are in back. Yeah. I'm a buyer here. Gossip. Microsoft, they've turned the ship around. It's going more cloud-based. Microsoft. That does it for us here on Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Options action starts right after this. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.